This episode is dedicated in the memory of Ahmad Arbery. This episode is dedicated in the memory of Breonna Taylor. Happy birthday, sis. This episode is dedicated in the memory of George Floyd. And this episode is dedicated in the memory of Manuel Ellis of Tacoma, Washington. This is America! This is Russell Fugit. Welcome back to Leadership, Legacy, and Love. <laughs> yeah, I'm bringing some energy today. I'm here for it, baby. What are we going to do? <laughs> we got a republic. <laughs> we got a republic. I believe it was Benjamin Franklin who uh, stood on the steps after the Constitution or the Declaration was signed. You can look it up. I'm going to let folks do their own research today. And a woman passed him. It was a woman who said, what do we have? Do we have a republic or do we have a monarchy? And he said, a republic, if we can keep it. <laughs> I'm beginning to wonder. And I'm, I'm not terribly surprised. There's, there's been evidence of the demise of our republic all around us. And we're all too comfortable. And I don't exclude myself from that. But I'm speaking today primarily to my white brothers and sisters and those of us who do not identify themselves in that way. I hope you can listen too because we all have a part to play. But in large part, if white folks do not stand up and speak out to adjust and to change and to dismantle the systems of this country that create the inequity, the inequity in, in wealth, the inequity in housing, the inequity in healthcare, which we have seen laid bare by COVID-19 and the coronavirus. The inequity in the environment, access to clean water, clean air, healthy food. Um, so many inequities. And now we see the racism of our country laid bare after 400 years since the beginning of chattel slavery here on the North American continent. And as a Christian, I just grieve for our nation in this moment because it's very painful. And particularly it's painful for people of color. It's been very painful for me. It's been sad, it's been mourning, a state of mourning, a season of mourning. And we're already in a season of mourning because of COVID-19 and the people who have been affected, the lives that have been lost, that are disproportionately black and brown and poor. But now on top of this, we've had the murder of George Floyd broadcast live for the world to see, and we know the world is watching and the world has responded. And I am grateful as an American, as a black American, to stand in solidarity uh, with brothers in South Africa and, and, and all over Europe and Berlin and in France because the situation is not undifferent. We're in a post-colonial world. The situation is not undifferent in many other places. Um, so what are we to do, America? What are we to do? How, to, how do we save our republic? How do we create a better world for our children? So I'm going to start with me. Michael Jackson, man in the mirror. I'm not going to play that. 
I'm going to start with me. And the first thing I did, I married to a, a white woman. And I had to start. Been married five years. I had to start and say, I'm apologizing to them. And I know some black folk going to say, well, white folks got to do the work. But I got to start with myself and say, I allow my family, who I care deeply about, who are wonderful human beings, to be too damn comfortable. I excluded the pain that I have lived with. I've shared pieces, but I never really went out of my way to, to share it, to express the importance of it, to share the perspective about our country that it will impact my 11 nieces and nephews who are also white or and, and three are also half Puerto Rican, but white. We will see them as white walking down the street, right? Let's be real. Love them dearly. They're wonderful children. So I, I wonder what America will, will we inherit? Black, brown, white, our Native American brothers and sisters. I cannot forget them on the reservation. COVID's kicking them in the teeth. And their suffering's not being documented. I haven't seen CNN on their reservation. I mean, I think there's some stories, but ain't nobody you know, reporting live from there. From the reservation. And I stand with the lieutenant governor of Minnesota, who is, uh, I think, the highest ever elected uh, Native American official in our nation's history, lieutenant governor, a young lady whose name escapes me right now. Forgive me for that. But you can, too, can use your Google machine to look her up. Um, and she differ she differentiated between the uh, in, uh, Native Americans on the reservation and the urban native population, which I thought was interesting. I'm learning. I'm still learning. I'm still growing. So I'm not here to point the finger. I'm here to figure out how we can save our republic. And I think you guys know my story. Descended from a free African that fought in the American Revolutionary War. And in fact, I think I have members of my family that have fought in almost every major war. Black or you know, black people who fought for this country, who died for this country. My great-grandfather, Tom Six, Henry Bakeman, fought in the Revolutionary War. Apparently lost at least a couple toes due to frostbite was known to play the banjo in the evenings to keep the spirit of the troops up because he was a talented young man, was also a skilled navigator and courier who could ride his horse and deliver messages back and forth between troop regiments in upstate New York. He even had to write a letter to his congressman to get his pension. He got in a few months later, he died. Then his wife had to write letters and she got in a few months later, she died. But he was discriminated against and not much has changed. Not much has changed, and you have stories of troops coming back from World War II and Vietnam, coming back to Jim Crow America, and being spat upon, and being told, don't you wear those army colors around here, boy, and taking that stuff off. So it's painful, because you grew up with these stories. Both of my grandfathers served in World War II, domestically, but they served in the Navy and the Army, respectively. So this is what you grew up with. This is the world you navigate as a six-foot-three 280, 300 pounds, depending on what day you catch me, black man, <laughs> what month you might catch me in. Brown skin, man. My God, my God, what are we to do? And I'm just really um, puzzled um, at the lack of awareness at what's happening around us. And I just think that so many of us, the most privileged of us who tend to be white, have taken so many things in this country for granted. The economy schools, jobs, healthcare, water. And it's played out so vividly 
and even within my own family when there's been a little bit of extra energy, my wife's family, about this reopening. Just a little bit of extra. They're not at the ones protesting that the free, give me freedom to go, to go to the nail salon or give me death people. They're not those folks. But a little bit more energy about I'm sick of this being locked in. I'm like, do you know how much black people have had to listen to the government or the forces that be around them that tended to be white about? <laughs> I said, you can't, that, you know, how, how we've understood, how black folks have understood survival in this country is just, just on that alone. Like black folks are disproportionately getting sick. I don't care who telling y'all to open up. I may have to think twice before I want to go do a family gathering. Go think twice before I want to sit at a restaurant. I'm sorry. I don't have that energy. I have not been blessed to have that privilege of that control, right? And I think that's the issue, white America. And I see these flags over here now. I live in the eastern part of Maryland. I see it more than I saw it growing up in the western part, west of I-95 here in the state of Maryland. Um, the whole idea of don't, don't tread on me, right? Don't violate my rights, right? Um, give me liberty or give me death. There's a lot of me, <laughs> A lot of me, and there's a lack of cooperation, a lack of desire to look outwardly and listen outwardly, and then to reflect inwardly before you make statements about me and what I need and my freedoms and I'm being violated about me. And that attitude is so uh, much against the heart of who God is, who Jesus Christ is, and that's my Lord and Savior. And so I know there's people who might listen to this who are from a variety of faith backgrounds, right? And I respect those. I also realize there are people who might listen to this and have dear friends who consider themselves atheists or agnostic. And I respect that as well. So but from a moral standpoint, however you use to do your moral compass, it's hard to live in a world with billions of people and just think about me. But yet this seems to be the driving force um, behind the concept of America for many. Life, liberty and the pursuit of my happiness. <laughs> Right now, as long as I don't kill or maim anybody, then, you know, OK, but but it's so much bigger than that. And the idea of just even having to wear a mask to go into a restaurant just because it keeps me safe and it keeps you safe out of respect. I don't know. I may be uh, asymptomatic. And I told you guys in this space already, I think my family possibly may have already contracted something COVID like the beginning of the year. I don't know. But we had some I, I know I had an upper respiratory cough like I had never had in my adult life that I can recall. And it was wicked. I felt like crap for a week, went back to work uh, and nobody else got it or, you know, <laughs> so I don't, I don't know. But but it's 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 not hard to imagine that there might have been something going on. So it's just not that hard to think about the community, to think beyond myself. And one of my um, either one of my friends or I think my brother in law might have said that the thinking of multi-generational, which is very strong in our Native American community, to think, I think they said they, Native American peoples tended to think 10 generations ahead before they made a decision. So you wonder why the Native Americans are protesting drilling in the land, right? As we worry about the environment and damaging lands. Um, and, and so, you know, I'm thinking about my children. I know we all do, but are we thinking about our grandchildren, our great grandchildren? And what world will they create? Will they be able to even pledge allegiance to the United States of America? I know that's just hard to fathom, that's a hard pill to swallow, but if you can't see it, and people who are experts in history and, and follow uh, even current events and what ha happened to other countries, we have a lot of the signs of a decaying democracy. So how do we keep it together? And the whole idea of a multicultural democracy, I know, is, is anti a lot of people's values. People think multiculturalism is, an, is actually an affront and attack 
to democracy when our democracy has been multiracial, at least in terms of the population from the beginning. Now, black folks didn't couldn't vote. White women couldn't vote in the beginning. Right. And things have evolved. But in terms of the people, the population of these lands have been uh, uh, been multiracial. You can look up Ivan uh, Van Sersma. My father has always told me about his book about Africans who were here before Columbus in North America, ancient North America. Right. And so we're already here in these lands. And so this idea of there being a, a, a white America and white dominance is just so fascinating because it's just not necessarily factual or true um, in the grand scheme of things. If you can look backward a thousand years, do we have the courage to look 10 generations ahead and think about the implications of what we do today do in fact matter? So I am challenging my white brothers and sisters who I love dearly to think about that what they do in this moment, in the moments, in the days, and the weeks, and months ahead will matter, will impact people they'll never meet in the future, generations yet unborn. And I know that's heavy. I know there's a burden, but I hope there's at least an awakening to look around. And for those of you who are in the Christian faith, to, to, to listen and to go inward and to lean in to the Holy Spirit, to lean in to truly reread the Gospels and understand who Jesus Christ was as revolutionary and why the Roman Empire killed him for being a disrupt, disruption, for challenging the authoritarian regime. Excuse me for not being able to spit that word out too well. So it's just really fascinating to see that 62% of white evangelicals continue to currently support our current president. And I've told people also in this space that I am a registered Democrat lifelong who has voted for Republicans in Maryland in local elections. So let's, let's put that out there. I mean, so there's a lot of Republicans I'd much rather see um, leading our country right now who would be much more equipped to speak to the pain and the needs of our country to bring healing. So what are we going to do? Where, where, where are we? I'm going to try to gather my thoughts and, 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 and share a few things. Um, Proverbs 22.8 in the NIV reads, Whoever sows injustice reaps calamity, and the rod they wield in fury will be broken. And black Americans know that rod and that fury. And of course, I think what's shocking to white Americans is to see the callousness and the pure evil um, in, which, in the manner in which George Floyd's life was so carelessly taken. And uh, when I walked past, uh, leaving a class in college, I walked past one of my professor, uh, Maurice Wade's uh, office, and um, his door was always closed, and he had a sign that poverty is violence. And so we see the violence in the murder of George Floyd, but we often miss the violence of poverty, of, the, of disparate outcomes in housing and education and, and, and the, uh, household income and, and family wealth. Right. The unemployment rate is, is, is always higher in, in the black community, especially now we're getting hit harder with COVID. So it's about health care uh, disparities and there's research that clearly explains why this is, why black men have heart disease and hypertension and that stress and, and racism and the multi-generational burden of slavery, in fact, has impacted and changed our DNA to make us more susceptible in terms of how we have to manage the stress of navigating in this world. We know any encounter with police could be the end of our life when it's possible, right? High, mo much, way more probable than it should be. So when the, in, in navigating microaggressions in the workplace and so many other things. Um, so you know, how do we see that, that fury in that, 
in that that rod, as it says in Proverbs 22.8, how do we see that uh, be broken? My dear brother, uh, uh, one of my pastors posted uh, on Instagram a wonderful verse as well from Amos chapter 5, verse 24 in the Message Bible, Message Version of the Bible, which is like the, the common language version of the Bible. Do you know what I want? I want justice, oceans of it. I want fairness, rivers of it. That's what I want. That's all I want. So it's just been hard to, to understand and accept and be reminded so painfully that um, white folks too often don't see my humanity and the humanity of those who look like me. And that's really what it, what it comes down to. Of course, the, the Bible tells us, you know, uh, if, if Jesus says, you know, he wants people to be on fire for him, right? And, and, and if you're lukewarm, he'll spit you out. And so this is a time where, you know, if you're lukewarm, you know, if, if, if you're, you're, you're part of the problem. If you can't be um, an anti-racist, then you're, you're a racist, right? And we're not talking about a feeling. And of course, people shrink up when they hear that word racism, right? They, they really, it really challenges them. And that's really a painful word is to have to hear um, that word and have, have, have to figure out how um, to process it. But we're not necessarily saying you're a bad person, right? It's not, it's not that label um, per se. It's really having to do with structures and systems that we all have inherited that play out every day. And that there's ideas in our society that we've consumed from our family's beliefs, from media, from, from literature, from art, that reinforce an idea um, of, of white superiority and everything else is other. That white is the norm, is the baseline, everything else is other. And then the second word, of course, that gets people very uncomfortable is, is, is privilege. So I, being a, was it a fourth generation, with a, a you know African American with an advanced degree and myself having you know a wonderful private education and so many benefits in my life I certainly have existed in this world with a tremendous amount of privilege but there's a certain privilege that's assigned to whiteness that I will never have because of the color of my skin and it's not anybody's fault per se that I was born into this brown brown skin and someone else was born into white skin but that privilege nonetheless exists. And so I really want to encourage my white brothers and sisters. I'm not trying to pile on today. I love you guys. Even the ones who hate me. <laughs> because Jesus commands that we act in the spirit of love. But I, I ask to center yourself in that reality. It's not that you know, you're not a bad person. But to listen and to hear when those two words, race, racism, and then privilege slash white privilege come up. Because that's, research tells us that's when white folks will shut down and will not be able to hear and listen and receive. Um, so we need the heart to shift. That's what I'm trying to get at today in expressing myself through this podcast. This is Leadership, Legacy, and Love, and this is Russell Fugit. I want to thank you for listening. I'm going to play a quick audio clip from James Baldwin, Baldwin who was a black intellectual um, in the 20th century and if you have not listened to his speeches or read any of his books I encourage you to, to do your Google machine and do that there was an excellent documentary that came out a couple years ago it's pretty short maybe hour 20 minutes I am not your Negro 
that talks about his journey and his thoughts on America and race. And here's a, a quick clip that I think sums up my concern about where is the heart, where is the morality in white America today? Apathy, the death of the heart, which is happening in my country. These people have deluded themselves for so long that they really don't think I'm human. I admit this on their conduct, not on what they say. And this means that they have become in themselves moral monsters. That white folks in America have deluded themselves for so long to think that I am not human. that white Americans have become moral monsters. And there's so much hypocrisy in our society, it's, I don't want to start rattling it off just what's happened in the last week or two. But this is a hard issue. So yes, there's certain things we need to change and dismantle structures, and we're going to get to that work. And I'll be sharing more in the weeks ahead about the work I'm going to be doing, and how I'm transitioning my career and my life and my energy and still drinking out of a fire hose, but it's been beautiful to reconnect with so many people. And um, I've been blessed to be an activist, to be an educator, to be a communicator, to be an author, to be a radio show host and now have this podcast, and to be able to share my journey. And I encourage you, if this is your first episode, go back and listen to some of my previous episodes. The titles should speak for themselves. And Lord knows I'm not perfect, and um, I, I always open to be disagreed with and I use my grandmother saying we can disagree without being disagreeable but I would hope that we can be aligned in wanting to see our experiment in democracy received and that the service of my great grandfather Tom Six Henry Bakeman and others who've come since then who have fought in every war in this country and those who have served in public service in my family um, and those who just tried to survive and thrive of diverse background in my family history. My Irish ancestors who came here as well. Um, that we all want a better future for our children, a more equitable future for our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, and so forth and so on. And I think that's at stake right now. So we need to uh, comfort the disturbed. And that disproportionately it's probably going to be people that look like me and then you're going to get a whole lot of people looking like me who are going to disturb the comfortable and there are a lot of white folks who've been a little too comfortable in understanding or lacking the understanding that's required for these times so what are we to do America what are we to do so I'm going to continue to do this work, encouraging others to, to do the same. And we have a journey. We have work to do. Um, the first step is listening. The second step I just referred to is support. The third step is expressing solidarity. And Drew Brees stepped in it, you know, about the flag. <laughs> and and it's, it's, it's hard. Um, to hear because it's not about that 
there's a there's a saying uh, or a, a, a placard, a protest placard that's going around <laughs> on social media. And it says racism is so American that people will protest racism and think you're protesting America. And therein lies the rub, ladies and gentlemen. Colin Kaepernick took a knee to protest racism. Now, he was I was reminded last night and I read this story. He was told he first started protesting by sitting on the bench to protest racism. A lot of people don't know this. And he had friends and he may even have family. He, he's a mixed race kid who was adopted by a white family. Right. Don't know if you know that story. And he was told, look, it's actually you're being really disrespectful when you sit down for the anthem. You'd be doing more respect if you actually took a knee, because when people go to cemeteries for you know, on, on Memorial or Memorial Day or Veterans Day, they'll take a knee at the cemetery. That's you actually do be more respectful if you take a knee. So after a couple preseason games, he adjusted and went and took a knee. In that silent protest, people say you're protesting America. When all he was trying to do was peacefully cast light on the injustices that have happened in our criminal justice system and over-policing of black and brown people in black and brown communities. And so there's so much research, there's so many articles, and I'm not going to float you to death with those, but again, people, please do your homework, do your research, understand where we are in America. And I will say, when it comes to inequity, there are deep inequities that are impacting all of us regardless of race in this country. I agree for the, the, the poor white folk in, in rural America and urban America who are suffering. That half of the children in our country uh, are, are it's a high percentage. I know it's over 25% uh, are, are food insecure in this country. And we think we're great in America. We're laggards. Our healthcare outcomes, our infant mortality rate, the air quality, the rates of asthma in urban areas, disproportionately black and brown. And there's a saying that we have in the black community, some of you might not have heard it, that says when black America uh, you know, gets a cold, white America may have like a little sneeze or an allergy, but when black people, uh, you know, when, when black people, um, when America gets sick, black people got pneumonia. So I might be messing that up a little bit, but when, when black people, when America is sick, you know, black folks got pneumonia, right? So we're going to catch it worse. We're like, the, we're, the, we're, the, we're the canary in the coal mine family. We're the canary in the coal mine. So what's beautiful right now, though, is seeing a multiracial coalition on the streets of young people. And I have a white niece who's, who's been out there a little bit. And I have another uh, niece um, who's both college age and she's African-American. She's been out there. So I just love seeing this multiracial coalition. That gives me hope. I was blessed to lead a, a, a diverse multiracial coalition 20 years ago at my college to, to protest around these issues. And. It's great to see that. Very different from the '60s when it was just black people getting fire hoses, and you had there were some there were some whites and in, in, in different protests, and the Jew, Jewish rabbis and many brothers and sisters of various backgrounds stood with us. But to see a young multiracial protest, no real figurehead, no real leader. This is not that generation. This is the community generation. This is the networked, uh, crowdsourced generation. People don't understand it. Where's Black Lives Matter president leader? Like they don't got one. This, this is we all we on we on link up on social media on Twitter and whatever. And, text message and chat and, and get it, and get it on and get out there. Right. And whoever speak up, speak, we're going to hold space for everybody. It's a different day. So I got to even accept that. Right. And, and all of us have to understand that this is going to be different, but that's what gives me hope because the young white folks by and large, young people of all age have a conscience and they've grown up with the media. It's hard to ignore what you can see on the media. It's hard. You know how, you know how 
you're, you know, if you're older, if you're an older person, your, your son or your grandson can work the remote control or technology better than you can. So this young generation can work this Internet thing, this social media thing better than we can, better than I can even. I'm pretty good at it. But I came of age with it. They came out the womb with it. And so it's hard to ignore the research. But you can Google it pretty easily and see the, dis- the disparate statistics on so many issues that cut across in our society. It's so hard to unsee the many videos and read the cases and read what's happened in those cases around uh, police violence in our community. So they, they see it by and large, they, that coalition, right? And that's what I'm pinning my hope. And I just admire and thank those young brothers. Because I was 20 year, years old right now, I'd be out there too because I was out there when I was 19 and 20 on my college campus you know there was no downtown you know we i'm almost laughing because we had like campus safety literally like escorting us around campus like compared to what these young people are facing you know true police violence you know um you know in the streets and we've seen those videos there's true courage being displayed what i did was not that correct that courageous in comparison it took a lot of organizing and planning it was very different because you didn't have cell phones and social media, barely had email people to get people to show up at a certain time and do the same thing in unity. It took a lot of work. It's a little bit different, but they're, but they're face, what they're facing right now is so different than what I had to face. So I truly admire them as someone who's had multiple knee surgeries and a little bit out of shape and could not go there, go downtown and run if I had to <laughs> right now when I got married with two kids. So I admire those young people, that multiracial coalition. That's the hope. You know, they know everybody ain't down with a multi multiracial America. That's not what the America that they want. Um, but that's the America that represents the population of this country. And if we're truly going to keep our republic, they are the future of our country. So let's invest in them. And I implore you, older white folks, even if you do not understand, listen. 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 Support be in solidarity in that fourth and final piece we're going to get into going forward is how do we take action what does that look like how do we disrupt the structures again no one's saying white folks are bad (laughs) but these structures this world Tupac said I was given this world I didn't make it we were all given this world what are we going to do and so my apology to my family was I have not expressed my lived reality in a coherent consistent fashion I said that has to end because I have two brother-in-laws who are pastors and, and running ministries and, and I have two other wonderful brother and sisters-in-laws as well who have their own careers and their own networks and I need them to be a voice. I know they see me as Russ, but they need to see me as a black man in America and I understand what that means. Because I need my nieces and nephews to understand what that means because I need them to understand what that might mean for my daughters and for their friends and for their friends and their allies in the workplace when my nephew, nieces and nephews are there. So that's how I got to put my light into the world is starting with me and starting with my circle and the people I can touch. So that's where I'm beginning. And that's where I'm beginning here today with this podcast. So I'm going to thank you for listening to this. Thank you for hearing me out. Thank you for letting me stumble and bumble through this episode and share some things. Um, I'm transitioning in my life and in my career and I'm available to listen. I'm available to speak and I'm, I'm going to be doing that to a group, a company on June 16th on my birthday. Um, I'm going to be um, doing a blog post. I'm working on that next week. That's going to be shared of the multinational uh, coaching network. And I hope that um, many of you who hear this will also get a chance to read that. I have a very special episode coming next week to celebrate loving 
uh, day, which is the uh, anniversary of the Supreme Court ruling that allowed interracial marriage. Of course, I am in a so-called interracial marriage and my great-great-grandparents, Irish immigrant and, and uh, free slave, uh, had to go to D.C. My great, my ancestors, my great-great-grandparents were in, met in Baltimore and got married, had six kids. The oldest was my great-grandfather, one of the first 35 African-American attorneys in the state of Maryland, passed the bar. So this is a lot of history, and I'm hoping that next week we can be more uplifting and encouraging in this space. And then the following week, the week of the 15th, I'll be talking more about what I'll be doing going forward. But I am available. You can find me on social media at Russell Fugit if you need someone to come on to do a presentation on unconscious bias or to just listen, to talk, facilitate. Um, I've been doing that my whole life and I'm blessed to be able to do that. So my grandfather had a saying, I'm gonna close with it. <laughs> and, and the saying very simply is, I couldn't love you if I didn't love you. And that's where this comes from. So the one thing I wanna leave you all with is as we attempt to have these very difficult conversations, attempt to listen and to correct and to share our perspective that know that you're not going to get it right you're not going to get it right but if you proceed with a heart of love and of courage and of respect for humanity you can have that exchange and then you can come back the next time and get it right and do better you can even receive the critique everybody want to give it but do you have the courage to receive the critique without shutting down can you center yourself in the moment and hear it and take it back and listen without having to say something to defend and then come back the next time and have a better conversation and be better the next time, right? And challenge someone else to do the same, right? In a loving tone, a loving way. And that's the talents that we have in our families, in our workplaces, in our communities. And that's where we need white folks to step up immediately. We'll get to the action. We're going to get to it. But right now we need y'all to step up and be a voice. For, for love, for humanity, for truth. Because I'm, 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 I worry about my, my white brothers and sisters. Y'all think y'all one of the 12 disciples and y'all really punch his pilot out here. <laughs> A lot of people read the gospel and see themselves as being, well, I'd be, which, which, which disciple would I be? I don't, I don't know. Would you be one of the Roman guards? And I ain't knocking police. That's not knocking people who hold roles in government because we know Jesus what the what was it? Peter cut the arm's hand and Jesus healed him. Then, uh, well, the man, it's just was it P? Was it Paul escaped the jail and the jailer's about to kill himself? He said, "Don't kill yourself. I'm still here, right?" So Jesus loved all of us, no matter what role we play in our society. And I got you know law enforcement officers in my family, people who've served, like I said. So it's love, it's love. But in terms of look at the gospel, we got to see where, what role we are in society and then how we're going to shape it based on the role we have to make it more just. We all got a, we all got some place and some connection, some pe people we touch where we can be better, we can make it better, we can listen and understand and just stand in solidarity with black and brown people, with gay and lesbian people, with transgender people, all fiercely and wonderfully made in God's image. Period. So I love you. I'm here to support you as we lock arms together to find the courage in this moment to make America better. For our children and our grandchildren to think generationally we have to there's no alternative and there's no turning back to normal with COVID with the racism and the brutality and the violence and the moral decay that we're seeing there's no turning back so we must go forward and I'm here to lock on and go forward with you.
Thanks for listening. Please share and subscribe to this podcast. You can find us on Google, Apple, and Stitcher. Of course, at Russell Fugit across social media. God bless you. Be at peace in this season. And we'll be back in a week in this space. Take care. God bless. Thanks for listening to Leadership Legacy.